As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Well, good morning, church. So good to be together. So let's think about this. Every day, every week, we interact with two different kinds of people. Who are you? Let's do some self-assessment. Let's have some honesty in church. When conflict happens, when there's that debate at the water cooler at work, when there's that discussion at the Thanksgiving table, what is your response? Are you the one that runs to the hills that hides in the closet and asks others to tell you when the conflict is over? If that is you, raise your hand. No honesty, a few people are being honest in church, there you go. And then you know the other response, right? Whether it's here in person or online, you know the other uh, response is when there's conflict, you're ready to put me in coach, roll up the sleeves, I'm in it to win it. Who is that here at church today? Okay, so more honesty as it relates to that. Okay, so now you're probably sitting next to someone who knows you. So this is family or friend time. Point to the person next to you as it relates to these two things. Who is it that runs away from conflict? Point. Who is it that runs into conflict and often stirs up more conflict as a response? Isn't it true though, church? That some of us, we lean too far away from conflict, but some of us, we lean too much into conflict. Conflict is all around us, right? Conflict is on social media, it's on the network news. Conflict is in the world, conflict is at work, conflict is in your home, it's in your marriage, conflict is at church. So conflict is all around us. In fact, I read this past week that historians say that, that out of 3,500 years of recorded history on earth, that only 268 years were conflict-free, that were peace-free, that didn't involve a war. Less than 8%, isn't that incredible? that conflict is all around us. But we're not gonna be talking today about the heated conflict about wars. We're not gonna talk about the hyped conflict, those needless arguments that we get into. We're not even going to talk about healthy conflict, those necessary discussions and debates that turn out to be helpful. We're not gonna be talking about heavenly conflict, that struggle inside about eternal matters. We're gonna be talking about human conflict relational conflict. God's word has a lot to say about this topic. We're in a series entitled Recalibrated Reliance. And so we wanna recalibrate our thinking as it relates to conflict. And we want to rely not on our opinions, not on our experiences, but we want to rely on the truth of God's word. So let's recalibrate our reliance on God's word. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them, whether you're in person or you're online, whether you have a physical Bible in front of you or you've got a phone, you can go to the Bible app. Let's look at the Bible together. Matthew chapter seven, verses one through six, it says this, it says, judge not that you be not judged. Now that verse right there, 
is one of the most misunderstood, misinterpreted, misapplied verses in our culture today. And we're gonna talk about that in a moment. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see that speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then a very strange verse. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample on them underfoot and turn to attack you. We'll get to that verse and explain that as we go. So we're gonna be looking today at crushing conflict. We're gonna look at four principles to do so. So if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, jot this down. The first principle is this, is that our posture needs to be that of humility. So when you face conflict, what is your posture? Is your posture that of humility? Or is your posture that of pride? Is your posture that of seeing what's wrong in others and wanting to make sure that you know that they know that they are wrong? What's your posture? Let's look at this verse together, verses one and two. It says this, it says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So again, I said that this is one of the most misunderstood, misinterpreted, misapplied verses in all of our culture today. We need to understand this, that Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't use judgment. We use judgment each and every day. That's not what this verse is talking about. Jurors, they need to weigh the evidence and they need to make a judgment, guilty or not guilty. That employers, they need to uh, look at the financial analysis and make some judgment about where the business is going. School administrators, they need to use judgment to assess the criteria of students, who's gonna make the honor roll and who is going to graduate. Let's give it up for all the graduates of 2022. Whether it's grade school, middle school, high school, college, a master's level, we're proud of you. And uh, we're proud of your effort that you made in all of this. This weekend, lots of people are using judgment calls as they're going to the movie theater. They're choosing, what movie should I see? And the vast majority of people are going to see Top Gun Maverick. And then when you watch Top Gun Maverick, you're making the judgment call, is it better than the original? How many of you have already seen Top Gun Maverick? Our family went yesterday, we saw the original Top Gun Friday night too. They are both really good. All that to say is that this is not what Jesus is talking about when he's saying, judge not. Maybe this is helpful for you, that the word here, judged, is often translated condemn. It's to make a final judgment. 
And so when we take the posture of humility, it's guarding us against a few things. Let's think about this. What's it guarding us? Against passing the final judgment on others. There's one true God and that is not you. That God is the ultimate judge. That we don't need to judge others. Let God do the judging. The second thing is this, is that uh, it guards us against assuming motives. How many of our conflicts become even more fueled because we assign motives, we make assumptions about motives. When we take the posture of humility, we can't assign and judge motives. We can judge actions, but the Lord is the only one that knows the heart. We don't know that. And then the third guard is this. It guards us from having a critical and a condemning spirit. What does a critical and condemning spirit look like? Well, it's the person that's quick to always have a negative assessment about something. It's someone who makes a mountain out of a molehill. It's the person that gossips about someone else's fault. It's the person that maximizes other sins but minimizes my own sin. It's the person that puts other people down so that you can feel better about yourself. And so it's important for us to understand the context. The context here is Matthew chapter seven. It's the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, warning them about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were all about this, having a critical and condemning spirit. And they were being God, that they were judging others according to their own extra biblical standards wanting there to be conformity to what they wanted to have. And so we need to make sure that we don't fall into that same trap. And notice what it says at the end of verse two, with the measure you'll use, it will be measured to you. In other words, you reap what you sow. There's a boomerang effect. If you're gonna be negative and critical and condemning towards others, watch out, that's gonna come right back at you. So here, this, this topic that we're talking about today, it's really in the bullseye. It's a hot button topic in our culture today. And that is judging. If you call someone judgmental, it's like you're swearing at them. See, our culture wants to promote total tolerance and not truth. Absolute tolerance, not absolute truth. But understand this, is that what we're talking about in terms of humility is not tolerance. Tolerance, according to our culture today, is just you do you. And so is that what Jesus is saying here? Just you do you? Well, of course not. All you have to do is flip through the gospels to see that that's not who Jesus is. You need to look at a story in John chapter eight to see this really illustrated. There's a woman who was caught in adultery. 
The Pharisees caught her. What were the Pharisees doing that they're catching her in adultery? Are they peepers themselves? What's going on in their own hearts that they're catching her in adultery? And usually when there's adultery, there's two people that are involved. Why is it that the woman is the only one that got drug out of bed and then she gets brought to the city square because they're gonna stone her? Think about the Pharisees and how they wanted to shame her in her moment. Probably just wrapped in a bed sheet. And there is Jesus. What's Jesus gonna do? What's Jesus going to say? Jesus first addressed who? The Pharisees. He said, you who are without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, all of these Pharisees, they dropped their stone and they began to walk away. And then you have this really tender moment where it's Jesus with this woman, probably feeling really guilty, feeling really shamed. How's Jesus going to respond to her? Is Jesus gonna condemn her? Is Jesus going to tolerate her? What did Jesus do? Jesus looks at the woman with deep compassion and tenderness and says to her, woman, where are your accusers? She looks around and the Pharisees had left. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Therefore, go and sin no more. Do you see this convergence of grace and truth? That's who Jesus is. He's full of grace and full of truth. Jesus wasn't condemning her or in our word today, judging her. But Jesus wasn't tolerant, was, wasn't promoting tolerance. You just do you. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go in sin no more. We need to have that same convergence of grace and truth in our lives. By um, personality, by our background, by our thinking, lots of different things shape us. But we tend to be either grace people or truth people. And if you're a grace person, God calls you not to get on the slippery slope towards tolerance, you just do you. But God is calling you to make sure that you're standing for the truth. And if you're a truth person that's here, you need to make sure that you're doing so with being full of grace. That's what it means to have a posture of humility. So that's where it starts. It starts with a posture of humility if we are going to crush conflict. The second principle is this, that our plan is personal. Other, in other words, that we need to first look at ourselves. What is it that we need to learn? What is it that we need to grow in? Let's look, look back at the text starting in verse three. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice, do not take note of the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye when there's a log 
in your own eye. So let me ask you a question, church. What is it easier to see? Is it easier to see a log or a speck? Is it easier to see a two by four or a piece of dust? Is it easier to see some lumber or some sawdust? I've got some sawdust here. There's probably, literally, in this little container, probably thousands of pieces of sawdust. In my hand, I'm probably holding on to hundreds of pieces of sawdust. Again, is it easier to see sawdust or easier to see lumber? Let me know, church, what is it easier to see? The lumber, the log, the two by four. Why is it then we are so focused on seeing the dust in someone else's life when we got a log sticking out of our own eye? Why is it that we are so focused on the faults of someone else and we can't see our own faults? It's hypocrisy, right? It's blame shifting. What if, church, what if this was a novel idea? Rather than focusing on the faults of someone else, we looked at our own faults first. Do you think conflict would be less frequent? Do you think the intensity of the conflict would diminish if we did that? So you drive home and you see your neighbor's yard and neighbor hasn't been out for several weeks and the grass is growing all over the place. You're so irritated by your neighbor. But you got a hole in your roof and the rain is coming in and you have mold in your house. Stop focusing on the dandelions next door and focus on cleaning out the inside, fumigating your own home. If you understand that illustration, that is what Jesus is talking about here. And so he's talking about, it's really brilliant if you think about Jesus and his words. He's talking about a log, and he's talking about an eye, probably the most sensitive part of your body. So at this point, I need an illustration, someone that's willing to come up and I want to jam this piece of board in your eye. Anyone willing to do that? Of course not, right? It's ridiculous to think about that. Think about how intricate your eye is, how necessary your eye is. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus talks about the importance of the eye. The eye is a lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, 
How great is the darkness? In other words, our eyes help us to have spiritual vision. I wear contacts, and so every year I have to go see the eye doctor, and I'm thankful that I have an eye doctor that's really sensitive and careful with my eyes. And I know that we live in 2022. We have like tremendous medical advancements in every category, but I still don't understand why I go and see the eye doctor. I still have to look in the same machine and I have to look at thousands of slides, A or B, A or B. Don't you think we can come up with better technology than A or B? But why is the doctor doing this? Because he's help wanting me to communicate. Is it in focus or not in focus? Is it clear or not clear? Is it close or is it moving away? In the same way, God wants us to have spiritual vision into his word. Is it this or is it that? Is it this thinking or that thinking? Is it this way of speaking or that way of speaking? You see, when we have the vision that God wants us to have, we have 20-20 spiritual vision. And he's given us to us in his word. But we can't have 20-20 vision when we got a log in our eye, which leads to the next point. The next principle is this, that our pivot is transparency. Our pivot is transparency. Notice what it says in verse five. You hypocrite. Again, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Why is he calling them a hypocrite? Because they're so focused on other people and not themselves. They're focused on external conformity. They're not focused on uh, internal holiness that they need to have in their life. And so Jesus says to them, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So notice that the issue isn't a speck in our eye in a log in our brother's eye, what is it? It's the log in our eye and the speck in our brother. And so when we get those backwards, when we think it's a log in someone else's eye and just a speck in our eye, then we're a bunch of hypocrites, right? And so Jesus is saying to them, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly. Do you see the what happens first and then what happens second? Do you see the sequence here? It's if you do this, then this happens. First this, and then second this. What is it? First, take the log, the two by four out of your eye. Because if you have the two by four that's in your eye, you have this log, this piece of lumber, you can't see clearly. Your vision is distorted, your vision is blinded, First things first, deal with this. Then when you deal with this, understand this, first things first, when you deal with this, then you will what? You will see 
clearly. Well, what is it that we're going to see clearly? Let me suggest four things to you. The first thing is this, I'm gonna see clearly the conflict biblically and not just emotionally. See, when our emotions are caught up in the conflict, our emotions often elevate the conflict. And so when we're seeing things clearly, we're seeing it biblically, not just emotionally. The second thing is that I see clearly my role in the conflict. I look at my actions, my words, my attitudes, my motives, my responses. When I'm able to see my role in the conflict, I'm not minimizing, I'm not rationalizing, I'm not making excuses, I'm not blame shifting. I'm not blaming it on someone else, but I'm taking responsibility for myself. When our kids were young, uh, Camille and I taught our kids at a very early age that when someone sins against you, it doesn't give you permission to sin in return. And so how often in our conflict does it start here, but our response to the conflict, it, we sin in return, and then the conflict becomes about something else. I think about when our kids were young, we taught our kids uh, that principle, that if someone sins against you, don't sin in return. Thankful for our kids. Our kids are now beginning their adulting phase uh, this afternoon, as soon as the service is done, within an hour, my son Jonathan, who's here in the front row, he's 21, I'm driving him down to Atlanta. He's starting a two-year internship. And so we've got that road trip ahead of us today. And then we've got a son that's in college and then our daughter is gonna be a senior next year. And so they're beginning like this adulting phase. But if I were to go back, Camille and I maybe could do a seminar here at High Point for some parents about mistakes we made when our kids were in grade school, mistakes we made when they were teenagers, and maybe you can learn from our mistakes, not their mistakes, our mistakes in this. And one of the things, if I ever did that seminar, one of the points would be is this, is that my overreaction to their actions created a greater fraction that led to less traction in our relationship. Do you think my seventh grade English teacher would be happy with those rhyming words? <laughs> Do I need to say that again? Maybe you can identify with this. Let's see if I can say it again. That my overreaction to their actions led to greater fraction and less traction in our relationship. And so we would say to them, just because someone sins against you, you can't sin in return, but how often did I break that principle? And that I was right to be angry, but I was wrong in the way that I was angry. You see, when we have humility, when we pivot to transparency, when we deal with the log that's in our own eye, then we're able to see things clearly and we're able to see our role in the conflict. And then when we see our role in the conflict, it naturally leads to this, is that I see clearly the need to seek forgiveness. That when I said this, 
I was wrong. When I did this, I was wrong. When my attitude was this, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? See what I just modeled there? You have to be specific. It can't be, I feel sorry that you feel sorry. I feel sad that you're offended. You have to own your action. I did this and it was wrong. And then you end it with what? Will you forgive me? You can't demand forgiveness, but you can ask for forgiveness. And when you're able to see clearly, you are able to see your role and you need the need to seek forgiveness. And then the last thing is this, is that I see clearly the need to extend forgiveness. How many of you are grateful when you're forgiven? How many of you find it hard to forgive others? I think all of us would say that, right? And so forgiveness is something that's amazing to receive, but it's hard to give. We could do a whole message on forgiveness, but let's just take a minute right now to talk about this. When we're talking about forgiveness, there's two elements to forgiveness. There's internal forgiveness, and then there's verbal forgiveness. What's internal forgiveness? In, internal forgiveness is between you and the Lord. That's when you release the hurt, you release the resentment towards the person who hurt you. Did you, did you get that? That forgiveness is releasing the hurt, releasing the resentment towards the person who hurt you, but you do so internally. It's between you and the Lord. It doesn't need to be reciprocated. It's something that you do. It's something that's required of the Lord or from the Lord. Colossians chapter three, Ephesians chapter four says that we're to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. It doesn't say forgive because the Lord has forgiven you. It says forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. How has the Lord forgiven you? He's forgiven you graciously. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. He's forgiven you generously, totally and completely. And he's forgiven you gladly, not reluctantly, but joyfully he's forgiven you. That we need to first forgive internally. And then the second response of forgiveness is verbal forgiveness. But there's two conditions to verbal forgiveness. The first condition is that condition number one, internal forgiveness has happened. Because if internal forgiveness hasn't happened, then all you're doing is lip service and you're not being truthful when you say that you forgive, so you need to forgive internally. And sometimes when it's small, it's something easy to forgive, but sometimes we carry a lot of pain and it's gonna take a lot of work to get to the internal forgiveness. And so that's where it starts. So two conditions about verbal forgiveness. First, it needs to be internal. The second thing is that the other person needs to ask for forgiveness. You see, we create a lot more issues. We create a lot more conflict when we verbalize our forgiveness to someone when they haven't first asked us for forgiveness. And so you do the internal work so that when that person comes to you, that you're then able to be at a point where you can verbally express your forgiveness in a genuine way in return. Does this make sense? And so God calls us to forgive. 
desire is that there would be reconciliation, but reconciliation isn't always possible. Reconciliation involves two people. If both people don't want reconciliation, reconciliation isn't going to happen. And sometimes there are some relationships that you can be around that have created a lot of hurt, that have said some some terrible things where there is some physical safety issues where it is not wise to be reconciled back into that relationship. Therefore, you need to have some healthy and helpful boundaries. If you find yourself in that situation now, make sure that you get some godly counsel. Henry Cloud says this about forgiveness as well as Um, reconciliation. The Bible is clear about two principles. We always need to forgive, but we don't always achieve reconciliation. Forgiveness is something that we do in our hearts. We release someone from the the debt that they owe us. That's what we were just talking about. We write off the person's debt and she no longer owes us. We no longer condemn her. She is clean. Only one party is needed for forgiveness and that's me. The forgive. Uh, The person who owes me a debt does not have to ask for forgiveness. It's a work of grace that's in my heart. That's the internal forgiveness. So our pivot is towards a transparency. And the fourth principle is this. The fourth principle is that the prize is holiness. The problem is oftentimes we think the prize in conflict is winning the conflict. It's being the last one to survive at the Thanksgiving table. It's winning the argument at the water cooler. I won. And so then we pile on all of our medals. Look at me. I won. I'm the winner. But are you really? All these medals that you have, aren't they just weighing you down? Sure, you may be won an argument, but in the process, what did you lose? You lost relationship, you lost your reputation, you lost your testimony, you lost your dignity. What's more valuable? See, when you think that the prize of conflict is winning, no one wins. And so what's the prize for conflict? The prize is holiness, or what we would say here at High Point, it's becoming like Jesus, being holy like Jesus. And this leads to this really complicated verse, so let's talk about this real briefly. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying some of you are believers, but then there's unbelievers. Not everyone is sheep, but some are dogs, some are pigs, some are sheeps in wolves' clothing. Be careful that you don't just spiral down to what the culture is. Don't let the precious gospel get lost in the muck, in the mire. Maybe a modern day translation would be stop the Facebook fighting, stop the Twitter rants. It's not helping anyone. Use some discernment. 
Warren Rearsby says this. He says, while it is true that we must carry the gospel to every creature, it is also true that we must not cheapen the gospel by a ministry that lacks discernment. Even Jesus refused to talk to Herod and Paul refused to argue with the people who resisted the word. And so if we're gonna crush conflict, where does it start? It starts first with a posture of humility, not of pride, but of humility. And then it leads to having a plan that's personal. That I'm not gonna be so microscopic focused on someone else's speck when I got the log coming out of my own eye. That I'm gonna have that convergence full of grace and full of truth. That the pivot is transparency. It's what is, what do I need to own in the conflict? How do I need to ask for forgiveness? How do I need to give forgiveness to others? And then obviously it leads to the prize, the prize of holiness, to become like Jesus. We've been talking about conflict today. We've been talking about reconciling relationships with each other. But in order for us to first have reconciled relationships with each other, we first need to be reconciled to God. And so as you came in this morning, you received the communion elements. If you didn't get the communion elements, uh, some of the ushers can bring them forward to you, but I encourage you to pull them out right now. We've saved some time in the service just for there to be just some time of reflection, some time of response to the Lord. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you catch that? That first we need to confess our sins to the Lord. It's in the time to think about the speck in your spouse or in your kids or in your friend. It's not time to think about where culture is headed. It's what logs do you have in your own eye? Can you confess those to the Lord? And as you confess them to the Lord, he promises to cleanse you. Why can he give that promise? He can give that promise because he sent his son Jesus. And the wafer here represents his body broken for you. The cup represents his blood shed for you to provide that forgiveness for you. And so communion is for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. If you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus, this should be a celebratory time in addition to a reflective time. But maybe you're here today and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. What's holding you back? All you need to do is admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you and do what we're doing right now is to confess Jesus as your Lord. Let's take some time to reflect and to respond as the worship team sings over us.